Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew Henry, a psychotherapist from Arizona. We're going to be talking about all things anxiety related. And we'll be talking about Andrew's new book, which is called Anxiety, When Enough is Enough, available on Apple Books, which is also available in English and Spanish, which is super cool. And it gives you a bunch of ideas and skills. The book is dedicated to those who suffer from anxiety and panic and want relief. As a counselor for over 15 years, Andrew has accumulated several skills that he has published in this book. Andrew hopes that you enjoy learning these skills, and after you're done reading his book, Anxiety, When Enough is Enough, that you will want to share this resource with those you love and care about. Andrew is a frequent guest on this podcast and a very great and interesting therapist who also practices in the following methods with EMDR therapy, hypnosis, Jungian methods, and cognitive behavioral therapy. He treats a number of mental health disorders and provides a neutral ground to adults, children, teens, families, and couples. His focus is to help individuals center in their lives and become aware of their inner strengths. This is achieved by providing a supportive, safe space and listening to their concerns and customizing a treatment plan. Andrew is committed to his clients and he is really working on helping them go deeper and learn the skills to live a vibrant life. So a little bit about what I'm up to before the interview. I have released this spring my first online course for parents of young adults, What Do We Do Now? And it's live on Udemy right now. Oftentimes, if you've never bought a course on Udemy, there's a large discount, and so the course is anywhere between $10 and $25 for almost three hours of detailed content for the parents of young adults, and I hope you enjoy it. The link will be in the show notes. I'm also affiliated with EMDR Training Solutions. These are amazing EMDR trainers that I've known from all over the United States, including Arizona, Minnesota, Florida, California, and more. So if you want to have the best EMDR training experience as a clinician, check out EMDR Training Solutions. They even gave me a coupon, the word intentional. Put that code in at checkout and you'll get $100 off your registration fee. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcoming back to the Intentional Clinician Podcast, it is my pleasure to present Andrew Henry, Masters of Counseling and an LPC in Mesa, Arizona, joining me today. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Paul. I greatly appreciate uh, meeting with your audience about this uh, important topic, anxiety. Absolutely. And I know that you have joined me twice before. And so I think people will uh, be able to look up those episodes and uh, check them out if they like this one. So I appreciate you being a frequent guest. Absolutely. I'm honored and um, greatly love helping people to deal with these things. So thank you again, Paul. You're welcome. And so the the reason we're meeting today, one of them, is to talk about anxiety and your new book, Anxiety, When Enough is Enough. And I've been leafing through this book, and it really gets to the point. We've got definitions, we've got some etiology, and then we've got all sorts of interesting approaches that are uh, 
ways to deal with anxiety. Uh, even an interesting chapter, can anxiety be useful? Um, and a lot of uh, things to do with therapy, but then a lot of things that have absolutely not much to do with psychotherapy and how um, anxiety can be worked with and sat with and laughed at and That's right. um, meditated with and exercise, all sorts of things. So maybe maybe we could just catch the listeners up a little bit on um, how do you kind of understand anxiety as a practitioner? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, uh, so dealing with that topic for many years in my practice, Paul, um, I've looked at this whole idea of anxiety. And um, to, to answer your question, you know, I think that our society's dealt with anxiety for millennia, you know, um, all the way back from when we were in caves and, you know, wondering, you know, where we're going to get our next meal or how to deal with um, obstructions within our societies. And, you know, and then fast forward to now, you know, a lot of the anxiety that we're feeling with bigger dilemmas, such as pandemic, the remembrance of 9-11 and such. I mean, there's a lot of things that we deal with. And and I think we're kind of predisposed to feel that anxiety and to experience it. And, and a lot of the clients that I work with, they, they come to me and they wonder, well, why? Why do I feel this anxiety the way I do? Why do I have panic? And how can I get um, effective skills in order to help deal with this? And that's precisely why I put this book together, because I wanted like a top list, a top 12 list of go-to skills for people to utilize and, um, and, and take a look at what, you know, if the top three don't work, well, then move, move along to, you know, go, go with what actually helps you and what works with you. Um, kind of list. And and I didn't want it to be just cookie cutter where, you know, it's only going to be recognized by psychotherapists or psychologists and and such. You know, it could appeal to almost any, um, you know, any niche in any part of our society, potentially. Yes, absolutely. That's kind of what I'm seeing here because it starts with a little bit of things that might have to do with psychotherapy and educating people about it. And then it goes to all sorts of other possible practices, wisdom practices, modern and ancient types of uh, remedies or ways to deal with and live with our anxiety. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, you know, just based on what I've read in my career uh, anxiety is necessary to keep us alive at a base level. Um, humans seem to have developed what they call a negative bias, uh, which means that we, you know, tend to be looking for threats and we might, uh, you know, to, and that was to keep us alive, uh, when we were sort of naked in the caves and, uh, fighting animals and trying to find food and figuring out which berries were poisonous. And we had to look at everything, uh, scrutinize it. Um, and then it seems that uh, mankind, humankind have uh, over the years evolved in many ways uh, in terms of our innovation in our technology. 
and so we've strived to make what we would call a safe landscape. You know, we've tried to tame nature, move into houses uh, and structures we build that don't have rain coming down on us, that right. don't have animals coming in or people we don't know coming in right. uh, and invading us. Um, and yet, uh, even with all these advances in transportation and technology and housing and food manufacturing and all these things we've done to kind of keep us feeling better about our state on this um, blue orb we're in, uh, people's anxiety is just uh, up there. It is just rampant and people are feeling it. And uh, yeah, and so maybe we haven't fully evolved mentally. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're unable to relax and enjoy what maybe some comforts that if a, a cave dwelling human from 10,000 years ago came into our nice apartment or house and sat down to have a, 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 a meal of rice and, and some exotic vegetables from all over the world and some meats that they would be, they would think they were in a heaven of types. And yet for us, this is a everyday thing. And now we're worried about other problems. Precisely. Yeah. Well put, you know, it's like, we're kind of predisposed and geared towards, you know, using that anxiety to help us, like you're saying, avoid the traps of what happens, you know, within our environment, you know, food and, and beyond. And, you know, what, what that boils down to in my practice when I'm working with people in the here and now is I, I tell them the anxiety is real and, and, and you don't need me to tell you that. You can feel it, you know, you feel it in your body, you, you feel it, you, know, you think about it and your worried thoughts. So what is it that you are anxious about? You know, so many people are running through their lives at a fast pace because we're at a very fast pace in our society. And um, they don't take the time to actually ask themselves, well, wait a minute, what is it that I am anxious about? What am I worried about? And to sit with that for a moment, that's what I recommend is the first step. Because if those things are just being pushed under the rug or they're being ignored, that can build up and cause more problems in the future. So it's so important for people to just ask themselves, what is it that they're anxious about? Now, occasionally, um, I do run into some people who say, you know, I've asked myself that and I can't determine what it is that I'm anxious about. I just feel the anxiety. It hits me and I get panicky. I get a panic attack, but I, I don't, nothing's on my mind. Nothing actually is crossing my mind. And I've, and I've talked about that within the book, too. You know, it, it could be a physiological or stored somatic experience which that, that's a medical term towards somatic experience, but that relates to psychology and that it's something that's unresolved and it's stored within the mind and body and then gets triggered by an experience within the here and now. So it's almost like the, the eyes are like this window of what happened in the past and it gets triggered by that and then that person feels it. So their, their mind might not be quick enough to identify what that was. It could have been, they could have been passing it within a car or they could have seen something online and then all of a sudden they get hit with this anxiety. Well, 
you know, it's that's okay because there are ways to deal with that too. And there's ways to help people, um, you know, deal with the unknown anxiety, such as with hypnosis or EMDR or, um, and, and, um, and Carl Jung shadow work. So that's, yeah, I'd like to comment on that real quick about, so the reason is that people may not know what they're anxious about. It's because we live in a very stimulating world. If you live in a city um, or an urban area or even a mid-sized city that is not a rural, woodsy, field, desert area, um, you are going to be more stimulated than, than a person living um, out away from people. Uh, not to say that a person living out in a way couldn't overstimulate themselves with the use of technology and television and videos and te- cell phones and oh, music and whatnot. But what I mean by stimulation is the autonomic nervous system is taking in inputs. And uh, because of mer- various factors that we won't get into, economic, societal, cultural uh, value systems, people are busier than ever, but on uh, constantly uh, differing tasks, uh, constantly switching between you know environments. Whereas a, a person who was a hunter gatherer would be busy all day, but they would have um, you know maybe less objectives and 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 maybe less tasks. You know, you you need to gather the firewood for the next three hours, and then we need to go uh, you know cut the animal up. And then we need to start the fire. It was a little bit more simple, but now we have, you know, all sorts of real and made up things going on. And so when the autonomic service nervous system gets triggered, but what you were talking about, maybe by a past experience, it's our, our body's automatic warning system. And so when you said the brain may not be fast enough, what, what I think you're referring to is our logic awareness, our frontal lobe and our prefrontal cortex being aware of why we're, why we're upset. Um, I've had many people come in and tell me, I don't know. I just had a panic attack. I was sitting in a parking lot and, uh, but then when upon closer examination, asking them what had happened that week, well, I was late on my rent and I was worried about the environment and I, was worried about catching COVID and I was worried about my nephew and I was worried about um, uh, what would happen at my job if I showed up late or something and all these things, but they, they had been so busy trying to stave off, you know, many different problems that they didn't actually have time to sit and figure it out. And then their autonomic nervous system went into a fight, flight, freeze or a, a panic sort of, and, and that surprised them and woke them up. To something. So there's lots of ways uh, people can have anxiety. And for some people, it becomes what's, what we call in the, in the psychology world, the generalized anxiety disorder is one of them, where you can have uh, increased anxiety in multiple areas of your life for a prolonged time, uh, difficult uh, increase in blood pressure, sleep disturbances, irritation, anger, poor concentration, difficulties in relationships, and many other issues. Um, mm-hmm including insomnia and uh, just hyper startle responses. And these things can be really debilitating for people because once, you know, let's just say it's the type of anxiety that kind of creeps up on you and doesn't have an actual, seems to have an antecedent or, or a reason, you know, you're, I'm, it's not just like, oh, I'm worried about, you know, uh, my job. It's, 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 it's creeping everywhere. It's becoming generalized into all areas of your life it can really take over and our body can get into a 
sort of rhythm, that's a broken record of anxiety. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, I mean, well said, you know, the, the rhythm of like a broken record of anxiety. Uh, so well said, Paul, because, you know, a lot of people feel that way. They feel broken when they're unable to get past these sensations of anxiety. And, you know, a lot of uh, smart people have said anxiety is the flip side of the same coin. And on the other side of the coin is depression. And a lot of people kind of slip back and forth between them because those worried thoughts you know, can lead to people thinking about the past, um, which is like a depressed state. Um, a lot of people, though, when they're worried, they're anxious about the future, which is then that anxiety side of the coin. So, you know, <clears throat> it's, you know, a very powerful thing to do is just to breathe and to take a deep breath. And we can do that here, you know, just take a deep breath and then exhale, take two or three of these deep breaths. And in doing so, what we're doing is we're calming down that nervous system that we're talking about here, this autonomic nervous system. We're resetting it a bit and allowing ourselves to then see a little bit more clearly as to what we're faced with. Um, you know, the these current approaches that I've talked about uh, within the book are, you know, there's many of them, but some of them at the top beginning of the book are the shadow work. Uh, and Carl Jung's work of the shadow just simply says, feel that anxiety within your body, close your eyes and sit with that sensation, sit with that feeling state. Don't push it away. Don't try and answer that with your logical mind. Um, and when, when a person tends to sit with that feeling, uh, and it can be very uncomfortable, it can actually peak uh, and, and feel very um, almost stagnant for a bit. Just sit with it, you know, and maybe set a timer on your phone and be with that. Um, typically, a person begins to feel and notice something about themselves that they didn't know before. Um, and, and that's an extremely helpful thing um, to do because uh, quite often these answers are, are there and they're within the unconscious mind. So when a person sits with that shadow work, that feeling state within their body, that's when their unconscious mind begins to open up and both halves of their mind, their rational mind and their unconscious mind begin to deal with the situation. So interesting you say that. I definitely think that it's good to get with a practitioner or a clinician for this because I think when people are experiencing anxiety, even something as simple as sitting with the anxiety and listening to it and feeling it out and you know working on the shadow work, I think that could actually make somebody anxious because one of the things I've noticed with when people are anxious is they get anxious about feeling more anxious, which then makes them more anxious. And that reminds me a little bit of what they call panic disorder. When you're you you get a panic attack, and then you try to control not having any more panic attacks. And the more you try to control not having a panic attack, the more panic attacks you have. So interesting, you say slow down the autonomic nervous system. 
part of it is that what I found with anxiety is it's very hard to think your way out of anxiety. Now, with a practitioner or with an out loud script or with a writing or some of the things you've listed in this book, I think you can think your way out of it, but a lot of it is physiological. We have to start getting our body into a state, like almost like fake it till you make it. We have to start breathing slower, taking a time out, turning off the phone, sitting in nature. Getting away from the stimuli and letting some of this energy work its way out. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yep. That's, yep. You're saying exactly what I'm talking about here, Paul, because when you're sitting with it and you're slowing down to actually feel it, it's fascinating because we're told don't feel things that you don't want to feel, push them away. Um, take take this or do this or work out. And, and there's nothing wrong with working out. There's nothing wrong with taking medication that's prescribed, okay? But when we're talking about things that are beyond that, um, sitting with it, what, what I've recognized over time in my practice and what the clients that I've worked with have told me as feedback is that it helps them validate their experience by sitting with it. And, and that's huge because instead of invalidating by saying, don't feel this way, push it away, um, that's, this is the opposite of that. This is saying, whoa, well, hang on, even though it's uncomfortable, I'm going to sit with this for just a little while so that I can validate myself and this experience and not say there's something wrong with it or that I should not feel this way. It's taking away the shoulds and the coulds and just being with what is and just allowing that sensation to be. And and you're right, absolutely. Um, Possibly have a a counselor's name on on hand, you know, and and in your phone so you can reach out if you feel, if that person tries this and they get stuck and they feel like, oh no, now I really have this big anxiety and I need further assistance with it. By all means, uh, shadow work can be a, an opening towards getting more help. Um, and uh, if it's not, if it doesn't resolve the situation. And so for sure, you know, that person should reach out and get some assistance if needed from a professional. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's definitely something I say in every show is that while you can get a lot of information from podcasts and books and television and movies and YouTube and all these things about psychology, until you know how to apply the methods, and often you can't do that without somebody who is able to be a mirror to you or to help you help you through or help you actually experience these methods, you you won't see much change um, because knowledge without action is just more information, which could possibly even lead to more anxiety. Because here I know all these things about anxiety. Why am I not feeling any better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's amazing. Uh, You know, to talk about, you know, therapy has been proven time and time again to be very effective for anxiety, psychotherapy and counseling, uh, you know, interchangeable terms. And um, there are thousands and thousands of studies on that. So we don't even need to go into that. I mean, I think there's over 20,000 at least that uh, prove that. But let's talk about some of these different things, I would say, 
one of the ones that interested me from your book was this energy psychology, uh, which is seems to be related to hypnosis. But um, yeah, can you t- explain to me what this energy psychology is? Oh, for sure, for sure. So energy psychology has been around for a while. It's a well-respected form of psychology. It deals with, um, from my from my understanding of it, it deals predominantly with the unconscious mind. Um, and, um, and things that I mentioned in the book here are chakra balancing and such. But if a person's not experienced within the world of chakra, um, charts or chakra experience, they can still get help within this, this topic or this area of the book. So w- one of the things that I do with people with the energy psychology is I'll ask a person to close their eyes and connect with the anxiety, kind of like the shadow work, but there's an added component to this. Um, the component is to identify what color um, do they associate with that energy. And then that person could literally um, then, if they have availability to a chakra chart, they might identify what color that chakra is and then read additional information, corresponding information as to where that might pertain to them. So, for example, uh, people who tell me they feel anxious and they close their eyes and they see red, that happens to correspond with the root chakra. Now, root chakra can deal with things such as um, grounding within that person's life, feeling on a stable platform, um, and, and many other parts to that person's being. Um, so if there's something unresolved within that definition of the root chakra, then that person also has additional topics to address and to work on. Um, someone might say, well, I see gold, uh, the golden color or yellow. Well, that happens to fall into the sacrum chakra. And that's a little bit higher up on the chakra scale. But now if a person says, well, I don't have access to a chakra chart, I am not interested in the chakra chart, I respect that too. I'll just say, well, whatever color comes to mind, and then I want you to think about when you're experiencing calm within your life, what color do you associate with the calm? And then just in a guided um, meditation, I ask that person to breathe the color of calm in and then exhale the color of the stress. And by doing that for just a period of one minute, a person typically feels balanced. They feel more at ease. Now, that type of work doesn't always deal with getting at the root issue. Um, So uh, that's why it's important to seek additional help and seek, you know, a... um, a licensed practitioner, a licensed therapist in order to help a person if that continues to come up. Because I, I wouldn't want that to be just a Band-Aid and, and not per, a person get to the root issue of what's happening. Right, that makes sense. So an intervention such as that could really help somebody feel better in the moment, you know, especially with a, a person who knows about it. But perhaps there might be a root issue going on that they've got to take care of. Um, something, something else that struck me about your book um, I had not really heard of somebody use this before, but shame is combined with anxiety. When shame is combined with anxiety, I hadn't heard that before. Mm. That is new to me, honestly. 
Okay. So apparently, you, you said here, the emotion of shame can be a voiceless form of anxiety. Um, yes. And so I hadn't thought of that, but internalizing a shame or somebody who's been shamed uh, blames themselves for something that happened or a catastrophe or, or something. And this can produce anxiety. And um, yeah, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I added this part to the book because I had seen this so many times within my practice where a person is dealing with some phenomenon that's happened within their life, some event that was out of their control, or maybe they contributed to part of the experience that became out of control. And then shame is added to it. And shame is like this, this internal view of what has happened. Um, you know, as, as a matter of fact, just recently um, on uh, uh, and some information that I saw on a newscast just last week, um, they were talking about this concept of shame. And they said, shame is not something we're, we're born with. We, we're, there are these primary emotions that human beings are born with, and shame isn't one of them. So it, shame is either taught by a parent, uh, and, but it's typically not. It's typically taught by someone external to the family, um, such as a teacher or a friend or um, some other person that's in that person's life. And then it gets carried forward. Well, if that shame is unresolved and then it gets mixed with um, this, this root cause for the anxiety, it, it has sort of like a compounding effect that both of them then need to be deal, dealt with in order to help that person overcome the anxiety. So the shame is sort of this view of what happened, and then the person internalizes it and feels, you know, the I guess shame about it or poorly about it. And then this right. can get coupled with anxiety mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing. So, yeah, I've never heard that before. Um, now, there you cover some some interesting ones. Obviously, exercise is well known to help anxiety and eating right. certain foods and avoiding certain like caffeine and things can help with anxiety for sure. Um, I thought about this other one, artistic expression. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard of it. I've heard of the term sublimation where you take something that bad that happened and you try to turn it into something good or something artistic. But, wow. um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, how maybe somebody expressing themselves artistically could help uh, sure. with anxiety. Sure, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I took this part out of uh, a training that I attended uh, from the Carl Jung Institute um, out, of, um, out of Switzerland. And what had happened was um, they, they actually advised people to sit with what they were dealing with, and then journal about it. Okay, so the first step is to identify what, in this case, what you're anxious about, uh, create a heading, journal about it, take that journaling, boil it down into a single sentence, okay, and then take that sentence and turn it into an artistic expression. So what, what happens with that four-step process is that that person begins to like 3D, see 
what was causing the anxiety. And in that, it's, it's pretty cathartic. A lot of people feel a release. And some people take that and put it on a wall. Some people see it and they say, aha, this is what has been at the root cause of this for me. And, and they, they burn it or shred it or tear it up and throw it out. So, uh, because they've identified it, they can see it. Um, that, that's a very powerful um, example. I, I didn't include all those steps within the book because I don't own that, that method. Um, I, I advise people to do that. Uh, but in the book, I have come given a, a shorter version of it. But here on the podcast, I wanted to speak more to it as to what, what occurs within that and, and how I arrived at that topic. Yeah, I think that's very, very uh, profound and useful for people um, to use artistic expression and anxiety. Um, so another thing I thought about uh, was, well, a mindfulness, of course, we've, we've talked about that a lot, but I, I do think if somebody can use mindfulness meditation as something for anxiety, this may be very useful because of the research coming out showing that if you can do, I mean, this is many different studies, but one of the studies was 60 days of 20 minutes of mindfulness meditation starts training the brain to become less anxious and also improves working memory and improves uh, performance. So, I mean, you said you started with breathing, but do you, are you okay explaining a little bit about what this mindfulness meditation would be? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So the meditation, the, the breathing breath awareness meditation deals with when a person's breathing and a, if a thought enters their mind, it's to not judge the thought. It's to see it as like a cloud passing through the sky and then just return to the breath. And what that's doing is, again, this is a lot of these skills are bringing the person back to validating their existence or validating their experience. So, but that breath awareness just allows that person to sit with with that um, with the, with that feeling, and and be with it, and and just allow whatever's coming up for them, um, and and you know and and. Just not to judge it, not to um, not to say that this this should be this way or, or has to be this way. It's just to allow it to be. Um, another part of the, the the mindfulness that I put here in the book is Thich Nhat Han, uh, who was a um, a Buddhist master, a, a Zen master, um, who was nominated by. Um, by Martin Luther King Jr. for a Nobel Peace Prize back in the 60s. Um, and Thich Nhat Hanh says in his books, be with, so if you're washing your hands with the water, just be with the water. Only be with the soap and be with the water. Um, connect with your breath. Um, as you're walking, just be with the steps. I, and I believe I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but it's, I think it's a time-tested method it's time proven. And that can actually help a person reduce anxiety too, because it's connecting with the now. 
So if a person gets relief from their anxiety by connecting to the present moment, they can follow that by asking themselves, is what they're worried about, does it exist now? Does it exist today? Um, if it doesn't, if, it, if it's happened in the past and that person can let that go for today, that's, that's perfect. Just be with the now. Um, another skill that uh, I don't think that I put in this book, uh, so I might add it to a future writing, is the, the concept of a worry clock. So if a person's really, really worried about something that keeps coming up, but they have no resolution, they have no way to deal with it, they can actually say, well, today at 4.30, I'm going to worry about this for the next half hour of that time. So from 4.30 to 5, I'm just going to sit with that and worry. Now, outside of that time, if I have that worry come up, I'm going to send it to that time and uh, not worry about that now, but worry about it then. I like that. Keep going. Uh, now, a person who does that, they need to do the worrying, though, at 4.30, because if they don't, then their mind and body is going to say, ah, you didn't do that. You didn't say what you're going to do. Now you're going to worry about it all the time again. So it's important to hunker down and worry. And uh, one of the people that I was working with with this skill, they took it to the next level. And they said during that time, they actually plan. They worry and then they strategize how to address what they're worried about during that half hour. I said, that's fantastic. I'm going to pass that along. I love it. Um, one of the things about mindfulness is it's almost countercultural to the Western world. I mean, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction was brought, I suppose, to the University of Massachusetts Medical Center by John Kabat-Zinn in the early 80s. And he basically medicalized a Buddhist practice of meditation and made it secular and accessible to... Uh, uh, people here in the United States where the primary religions are Christianity, uh, Catholicism, and things like that. Right. Uh, and so uh, not very Eastern-minded. Uh, and he was able to bring that in and show with, that, with amazing results that people even facing end of life were able to reduce their stress by uh, doing these meditations, uh, simple things of just breathing and sitting with it, noticing all, but a lot of things taught from uh, the Buddhist traditions. Um, and interestingly enough, they, you know, the, there's an old adage from psychology that says, you know, if you think about the future, you've got anxiety, you think about the past and you've got depression and you think about the present and it's a gift right? Or something like that. But, yeah. but essentially, when you actually focus your mind on the water while washing your hands, or if you're in the shower and you just, people have good ideas in the shower. Why? We're isolated. We're away from our electronic devices. We're not having conversations with people. We're listening to the water. We're feeling the water. We're, um, we're attending to the body, a, a thing that a lot of uh, is also countercultural. People ignore their body's cries, what I call symptoms, but their cries for help or cries for rest. And they say, no, I've got to push forward. I've got to get this done. Let's go get five energy, five hour energy from the gas station and put that right. gas in my tank, right? We're, we're ignoring our body's natural um, upset. So uh, with that, um, you know, if you, if you ever want to just do an exercise um, you know, without a practitioner, starting out with a mindfulness meditation exercise, there was one called the raisin. 
And there's this whole thing where you hold the raisin, you think about the raisin, you stare at the raisin, you think about the raisin as a grape, you uh, you touch the raisin with your tongue, you put it in your mouth, you focus, and it takes like seven. It takes like seven to ten minutes to do this activity, wow. and it's so interesting how, especially if you get led through the activity, it's even better if you're being led through it. How all of a sudden you forgot about your cell phone bill, and you forgot about where you had to go later. And and some people call that mindfulness and some people call that getting into the flow of life. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the flow of life, you are experiencing things as they come without trying to heavily regulate the clock. And I think sometimes, I love that you, you talked about the clock and putting the anxiety in that clock, but I think... For some people, the clock is such an anxiety-producing tool. Um, only in the—I don't know how long we've—you know—I know that in Japan they've had clocks for hundreds of years, but going back. But I don't know how long we've really been measuring time the way we do now, as opposed to um, ancient mankind for most of our existence on the planet have been measuring it by the sun. And where the sun was in the sky, and and, and right. unless you were in certain northern regions, and where the stars were, and 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 sort of planning their day around the way the world was, not what the clock said, you know. And I think exactly. there's something to that. More, it, it feels less jarring to think, well, when the sun gets by the trees, come in from the field, and we'll eat some bread. Versus, <laughs> I told you, Timmy. At 6.15, you are to leave your friend's house. You are to walk here. And if you're not here by 6.25, you know, I'm calling your uncle or, you know, whatever. Your father's going to be angry and we're taking away all of your electronic devices and we're going to make you eat gruel. I don't I don't know. It's just, (laughs) it's so jarring to think about. What about tick, 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 the clock's ticking. What if I'm having the best time of my life with my friend? You know, I I can't wait for the sun to go down. I've got got to be on this sort of, of this schedule. It reminds me, uh, of a James Hillman, a psychotherapist, uh, former Jungian. He was kind of invented his own thing. If you haven't read him, I recommend it uh, to the audience. But I, I saw him speak before he died in, uh, must have been 2010 or something. And he said, um, he said he gets lots of, lots of patients wanting to change their lives and, and they'll let him do all sorts of treatment interventions in the therapy hour. But he said the most resistance he's ever received from patients across the board was when he tried to treat their schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, for sure. You know, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, with these, um, yeah, scheduling, wow. I mean, you're right. It's there are these major worries in our lives, There's, there's finances you know, there's relationships and both of those deal with scheduling. A lot of that boils down to, you know, can you, can you fit it in your schedule? Can you, you know, garner time within your schedule and yeah. And the anxiety that that can produce, you know, um, it can be overwhelming for some people. Um, I, I just think of some basic organizational skills you know, if a person's very anxious about not being able to schedule properly, 
if they take a quick course or they learn some techniques on how to effectively manage their time, there are there there's podcasts on this, there's TED talks on this, there are there's written material on organizational skills, and those skills can help a person feel more relieved because you know it gets back to the old axiom or the old idea that. If you're responsible for your time, then there's freedom within that responsibility. And that that can be useful. And also being responsible for using some of these skills uh, or other skills that have been helpful um, can can be can be helpful. It can be can be utilizable. Um, you know, I'm looking further down, I talk about alchemy and anxiety. Um, Carl Jung. Um, mentioned that um, there are these dialectics. So dialectics are opposites. If, so if a person's feeling really down, if they're feeling anxious and they're worried about this, what's the, what's the natural opposite of that? And um, if a person sits with those two things, knowing that there are opposites within nature, there's the sun and the moon and there's, there's water and fire, and there's water and land, and there, there's various opposites within nature. You know that that could be a reflection uh, or a mirroring for a person's life too. So you know, get get with these opposites, um, and and then and then breathe breathe in the experience that you want. Try and you know change that feeling state within yourself. And, and see if that offers some balance within the life. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I love alchemy. There's a lot of really interesting uh, lectures on alchemy um, and the symbol, the symbols of alchemy and what that means. And really, um, it's not what I, I don't think it's what most people think about trying to turn lead into gold. It's really about um, the human condition and um the states of our moods and uh, actually there's a really interesting audio book you can check out i believe it's called the alchemy of psychology by james hillman wow. i'm just pegging james hillman all over today but nice. he talks about every different color that the alchemists discovered in their in their work and how that applies to the mood and also greek mythology and different things like that so there's mm -hmm. a lot of richness in what you're talking about um now, I, I, we couldn't go through a whole podcast without mentioning EMDR therapy. And in your book, you do mention it briefly, Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy, which is really an excellent therapy for people with anxiety, I think, uh, even though it's really, of course, uh, been empirically proven for post-traumatic stress disorder. One of the major symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is anxiety and hypervigilance in the, in the, in the system. And uh, so... I know you talked about stage fright in here and how um, a lot of people have used EMDR therapy for stage fright um, and just that single incident. And I, we've had uh, you know, a lot of people uh, with fear of driving after a car accident um, who have been coming to our counseling clinic here, um, the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids in Health for Life. And uh, we've had a lot of people who have had uh what well, this is interesting a, a breakup you know with dating and then they're afraid to go date right they're afraid to date anyone else um after this breakup and, and so 
it, it's anything that somebody becomes fearful of and anxious of can could possibly be traced to an origin. The car accident's obvious. The stage fright is obvious. The breakup is obvious. Other things aren't as obvious. But the best part about EMDR therapy and, and some of the mindfulness therapies we've we've talked about is that you can really dig in there and try to figure out what is where is this coming from? And there's yeah. some techniques that we can't really get into too far here without getting too technical, but there are techniques that get beneath the snap judgments of trying to figure it out um, in a session. It might even take 25 minutes to get there. But if you do one of these techniques such as float back or something like this, a practitioner might know what I'm talking about, you will find some origins of where this anxiety began. And if you find out where that is and you target that with EMDR, one of these therapies, I mean, you are going to be feeling like a brand new person. And, and a lot of people think that that's crazy, but I'm telling you, it's empirically proven to work and it, it works uh, for most people. Um, this yep. therapy is highly effective. I, I mean, agree. you know, if you can believe that a medication can change you, um, why, why not? you know, a processy with the practitioner. So, um, exactly. Yeah. Well, if I could just speak to that, you know, EMDR, I'm a huge fan of EMDR. I've been trained in it. I've attended a lot of their trainings, um, the, of the MDRIA, which is a EMDR international association group. Um, as you know, and, you know, as far as, um, what what it talks about is what's called AIP for short, adaptive information processing. So when a person's receiving EMDR, both hemispheres of their mind are actually dealing with the in this case within the anxiety or what's causing the either the car crash, the breakup, the whatever's happened, and um, it's it's creating this ability for their mind to see it and feel it from a different perspective. And, and actually create positive cognitions or positive thoughts out of the experience um, with, within that. So um, yeah, EMDR is, is phenomenal. It's been around for about 30 years and um, it's extremely helpful. Um, a lot of the people in the hypnosis circles, they look at EMDR and they say, it's great when a person's eyes are moving back and forth they see it as that they're entering into a trance. Um, that may uh, be so. I, I'm not quite sure. I'm trained in both, and uh, but I can tell you that if it is a trance, it's a very um, it's a it's a mild trance because that person's extremely aware of what's happening for them, and they're very present in the moment. Um, and there's ways to help them straddle that uh, within that process of EMDR. So. You know, but yeah, I mean, uh, literally, um, if a person um, is dealing with the anxiety, I also mentioned the the topic of laughter, you know, and um, I'll never forget, you know, attending a, a laughter workshop um, at the Riva, which was at the time Magellan Healthcare in the in the Valley of the Sun here in the Phoenix area, and. Um, there was a, a, a gentleman, uh, his first name was Markham, and he gets up there and he just starts chuckling, just like a, a low chuckle. And I'm thinking, well, I understand that the, the topic is laughter, but how is this you know, going to help? What, what's this going to be? And, but it's funny because it's contagious. It just you know, starts with a low chuckle and then just like a giggle. 
And then beyond, just within a short period of time, the whole room was exploding with laughter. And it was, it was, it was therapeutic. It was very helpful. I mean, the guy never said, you know, now focus on what you're anxious about or what you're doing. But, oh, my word, we felt lighter afterwards. We felt relieved and, uh, and went off to ha have a great time, you know, that day. So um, it, laughter helps kind of reset the, the mind and, and the physiological experience, the mind and body experience. And um, uh, Milton H. Erickson, uh, who created uh, the Ericksonian, uh, he, he talked about the concept of pain, which anxiety can actually be, a, you know, pain can cause a lot of anxiety. So I just want to speak to this for a moment because I think it deals with anxiety as well. He, he wrote within a, his book uh, through some studies that if a person is experiencing laughter, just uncontrolled laughter, spontaneous laughter, you cannot have pain and therefore I say anxiety at that same time while you're experiencing spontaneous uncontrolled laughter. It just can't happen at the same time. I love it. And one of the things that struck me about laughter is I think that for a lot of people, anxiety is a stress or a physical sensation in the body and the mind about wanting control. And when you want control, which most people want some type of control about their life, you know, you see this when, when people have phobias. Um, why don't you want to go up in the hot air balloon? Because I'm out of control. I have to trust that the balloon is going to land and not hit electrical wires. And why don't you want to go in an airplane? Because I don't know what the what if the pilot has had a bad day, or you know, uh, was drinking, or you know, what if the plane malfunctions? So, you know, and when when a car, people feel like they're in control, even though there's other people who may not be in control of their car, but you feel like you're in control driving a car and walking around, but. As humans, you know, we're, we're vulnerable, you know, there, there's a lot of things bigger than us in this universe. And, um, yeah, well, why don't you want dangerous. to get up on the stage? Why don't, why don't you want to give a presentation in front of your colleagues? Why don't you want to do the, um, you know, and then fill in the blank, you know, if there's anxiety about these things, why not deal with the anxiety? That's how, what I'm talking about within the book and what we're talking about here on your podcast and how that translates into life. And, and, and to help create that flow that you mentioned, you know, that flow within the life, because when there's less of that anxiety, then there's more of that rhythm and, and that, uh, that flow, that river within that person's life. I agree completely. And um, one of the last points I wanted to make about control real quick was it struck me that when, when the whole class was laughing, it became almost out of control laughter, I think is what you said. Yeah, laughing yeah, yeah. uncontrollably because what's, <laughs> what if you really laugh in a in a belly laugh and you, you may be watching a comedian or something like this or something just hilarious happens to you or absurd you right. almost can't stop laughing it's almost like a hiccup and right. and i i wonder if that isn't releasing some of that tension of needing control and and, and reassuring you in a way that it's okay to not be fully in control all the time and so I wonder if that if that has something to do with that. I just was curious about that. Um, one of the things I think uh, I really liked in your book, and I'm not sure if you said it like this or not, but making peace with your anxiety, meaning that you may continually feel anxious about some things, 
But if you can have a meta awareness or meta meta consciousness that you are not your anxiety, the anxiety is being experienced by your physical body, by your nervous system, by your mind. And because of the circumstances you're in and you're able to zoom out and see a bigger picture, you may be able to have peace at the same time feeling anxious. That was interesting to me. What do you think about that? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's that making that peace with the anxiety. If that person can just literally, you know, come to terms with, you know, for example, um, there are things that can create anxiety. Uh, I deal with some people who have cancer. I deal with some people who have unexplained medical issues. I have, I work with some people who have had, um, just, you know, things that they did not expect to occur within their life. And if a person can come to terms with, am I doing all that I can do to address what I'm faced with? Am I following the doctor's recommendation or whomever I'm seeing to, of their recommendation? And am I taking the necessary steps to be in the present moment? That I think can usher in that acceptance and making peace with what what a person's faced with. Um, you know, I tell you, it's 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 so important to, to be able to do that if something, especially, is ongoing and it's seemingly out of control. What part of that do you have control over? And, and if there's something that you do have control over, what are you doing with that? And, and know that that can change over time. Uh, you might think that these are the steps that you need to do today. Great. Maybe in a week from now or in a, a, in a month or two, those steps can change. Be with the now. Be with what is today. So breaking down... If we have a loss of control, which can lead to anxiety, breaking things down into small things we could control might help us feel a little bit better. Absolutely. Instead of thinking about the global. So, Andrew, this is just great information. Um, I believe this is your third book that you've put out there. It's on Apple Books. That's correct. That's correct. And I, I wanted to get a little bit of information about how can people work with you? Because I understand there's multiple ways to work with you, both with your license and your coaching business. Can you tell me about both? Sure. So yeah, and my, my license practice is just for people in the state of Arizona because of the constraints of you know the license, which is just here in Arizona. Uh, and then as far as the coaching, uh, where I coach people on various elements as of the things that are found not only in this book and beyond, um, they can contact me through my website, which is counselingbyandrew.com. And um, there uh, they can fill out a form to contact me to schedule a meet and greet or uh, an appointment for the coaching. And a, a lot of people don't want to be so formal and say, you know, I, I need a, a therapy appointment. I just need someone to coach me or to listen to me about what I'm faced with. And I can do that there. I can offer that. And, and that's outside of the scope of Arizona. I can do that with people from all the states in the United States and, and, and other parts of the world too. So I love it. So you have a lot of coaching you do as well. And I know that you did some yeah. mindfulness coaching and I'm not sure if you, 
were doing some hypnosis as well, or is that more in your licensed practice? That's more in my licensed practice, uh, the hypnosis. Um, and uh, I've done trainings uh, on, on hypnosis and uh, some shadow work. And that could be attended by anyone uh, and because that's not underneath the purview of my license. So, you know, um, as a matter of fact, I have a, a training that's coming up on the information in the book that I just covered um, and where I'm going into in-depth uh, information about these steps and how to apply them uh, in, in a training workshop format. And that's going to be October 1st and 2nd, Saturday and uh, Friday and Saturday. Of and 2021, October 1st and 2nd of 2021, right. which is perfect. I believe this will be out before then. How can people attend this workshop? Uh, they can attend it uh, by contacting me through my website, uh, and I can get them signed up uh, for the, for the, uh, the workshop. Um, and the, um, and it's, it's through a, a training consortium, so, um, and, uh, and Randy Webb's going to be the host. All right, he's going to be the the, like the mixologist person. <laughs> so. Oh, wonderful. Okay. That's exciting. Yes. Yeah. Randy, yeah. also a frequent guest on the show when I can get him. Right. Um, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, very excited about that. I'm going to have to talk to you about that myself. Um, Great. So, Great. well, I you know, and I'd almost be um, in remiss if I didn't mention one last thing about the anxiety. Um, there was a phenomenal TED talk by Kelly McGonigal, PhD, and her concept of anxiety really kind of turned some of this information on its ear. Um, she did a longitudinal study where she, she examined, uh, I believe it was a total of 500 people, um, or 500 people, a total of 1,000 people, 500 people who believed that anxiety should be pushed out, should not be dealt with. 500 people who felt like if you're feeling anxious, get up and do something, see it as a wake-up call to actually do. And she said that this longitudinal study showed that those people who did something about what their mind and body were telling them to do, you know, to wake up and do something, they did way better. They felt better. They were physically more fit and um, had less repercussions from the anxiety itself. So, you know, I think that that just lends itself to say, well, another skill here then would be if you're feeling anxious and your heart's pounding or you're feeling tight or something, why not get up and do some stretching exercises? Why not do something with that anxiety? And it could be doing something what you're anxious, anxious about as well. I think that's great to take action yeah. is important. And I think. It's especially important with anxiety, well, and depression, but anxiety can be par just as paralyzing as depression. And so if we can get that motivation to even move and stretch, I think that can start to turn things around. And I think especially with the teenagers and young adults that I've been um, here reading about, um, reading their phone for seven to 10 hours a day in between appointments and work and school, we've seen an epidemic of anxiety, um, right. not just what's happening in the news. So I, I think that's important to remember that life takes place 
in your body and where you are. And yes, life is taking place elsewhere. And you can read about it all day ad nauseum and watch videos about it. But remember that life is taking place where you are. And um, to be quite honest, I think phone addiction will be in the next edition of the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of uh, <laughs> Disorders. Phone or internet addiction, yeah. I agree so. with you. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the last two generations have had that, um, you know, the the computer in their hand, you know, the ability to connect with things that are right there, immediate. And, and that's something different than the generations before that, before smartphones were invented and the complexities that go with that. And, and but also the gifts that, that, that go along with that. And it's, it's about being, you know, again, organized with your time, being responsible for what you are choosing to do with it. It's a choice. And then adhering to that, that helps reduce the anxiety related to these things. And just a quick snapshot of you know, that. You know. All right, I good. love it. Well, Andrew, it's been my pleasure uh, having you on the podcast today. I'm excited about your workshop. I'm excited for people to check out your book, Anxiety When Enough is Enough by Andrew Henry, Masters LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor and uh, checking out your website, counselingbyandrew.com. And I'm sure we'll have you back once again. (laughs) Very good. Looking forward to it uh, in the future. And thank you for the now. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk with your people and the people that are listening to this podcast and to know that there is a way through and to deal with anxiety if you're faced with it. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast with Paul Krauss. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. If you were looking for an EMDR IA consultant, I am almost a complete EMDRIA consultant, but currently a consultant in training, and I can provide 15 of the 20 hours needed to become EMDRIA certified soon to be 20 of 20 hours. I have consultation groups ongoing online right now. You can learn more at counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com and just send me an email. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids and Ada, Michigan area at Health for Life Counseling and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. That's www.healthforlifegr.com or give the office a call at 616-200-4433. If you are in the state of Michigan, you can even do telehealth if you can't come into the office. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these are based upon literature they have read and their experience in the field, this podcast should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color? Feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text the word STEVE, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741-741. 
That number again is 741-741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know you could support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org? You can order books from the comfort of your own home and know that you are supporting local bookstores around the world and in your neighborhood with each purchase. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your local state association for counseling or therapy, please understand it is vital to join. So many things are happening in back rooms of politicians, offices, and other large entities that are going to make it difficult for people to receive proper mental health care uh, and difficult for it to be in schools as well as difficult for you to be reimbursed for your services by insurance companies. Please get involved. In the Michigan, we have the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association. In Arizona, we have the Arizona Counselors Association. I'm a member of both. And, of course, the National Organizations of American Counseling Association and the American Mental Health Counselors Association. Please consider donating every year for your dues because that can really help at the least. You can learn more about why that's important by listening to episode 32 and 33 of this podcast. Remember, if you're trying to get EMDR trained, you can check out EMDR Training Solutions and register now with the code INTENTIONAL and get $100 off your first EMDR training. All right, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week.